continue today in the letter of 1 John. It's uh, in the New Testament. It's not the Gospel of John. It's the letter of 1 John. And uh, we're coming to the end of it, but the end of it has taken us a little while, and that's okay. So as many of you know, uh, I pastored for, before I came to IBCD, I pastored in Oregon uh, for 14 years, and we've been here for 12 years. And uh, I often tell folks, you know, nothing ever strange has happened uh, during my time in Germany. All the strange stories I tell about always happened when I was in the U.S. And uh, that's not true, but that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, but this is a true story. One day, so the church in Oregon was uh, situated a little bit differently than it is here. Like here, we're in the forest. You have to kind of look for the church to find the church. The church in Oregon was right on this main street. It was on the main highway leaving town going to uh, the bigger towns of Corvallis and Eugene. And so people would just drive by our church all the time. It was on that main drag. And sometimes if a person just wanted to talk to a pastor, they would just pull into the church and come in. And so I had conversations with people that I had no idea who they were. Sometimes they were just passing through town. Sometimes they had been driving by. And, and this one day this guy came in and he just walked right past our secretary there, didn't say hi to her or anything. And you could tell he was agitated. And I was at my desk. He just comes in my office and says, I think I'm going to hell. And there was no hello. There was no my name is. It was just right away, bam, I think I'm going to hell. And so I asked him, I go, well, why do you say that? He goes, and this is, you know, just uh, uh kind of get around some tender ears. This is what he said. He goes, because I told the Holy Spirit to, you can kind of fill in the blank there, off. And so since I blasphemed the Holy Spirit, I'm going to hell. And, <laughs> and you know, this is kind of a strange way to, to dive into a conversation, you know. So I was like, well, why'd you do this? He goes, I don't know. I was just driving around the fields in the tractor. It came up and I said it. I said it out loud. So now I'm going to hell. And so I asked him to sit down, which he didn't. And I said, look, people have said crazy and horrible things uh, to God or about God all throughout history. God is able to handle this and forgive this. But I think we should talk about why you would even say such a thing. Because that really is an indication of, you know, what's going on in your life. But the unforgivable blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is talked about in the Bible, is more than just saying something stupid or disrespectful to the Holy Spirit. It's deeper than that. Do you want to talk about that? And he kind of gave me this funny look. And he went, no. And I don't remember how the conversation ended because it got kind of just sort of fizzled out from there. And he ended up leaving. And I didn't see and hear from this guy again for years because I didn't know who he was. He never told me his name. He just walked in, laid this on me, and then left. It wasn't until years later that uh, I got a call. I was a chaplain for our local fire and police department to go to this call for this domestic disturbance because the person there had said that I was their pastor. I didn't recognize the name. And I went there, and it was this guy. It was like four years after this. And uh, it just kind of hit. He had a strange story, which isn't all that relevant to the sermon today. But this idea that he felt he was going to hell because of this unforgivable sin made me start to think about, you know, what does this mean? And do people understand this? So last week I said the Apostle John finished up with his letter here to a struggling church. And we're in chapter 5, starting at verse 13, if you want to follow along. And he makes a series of statements as he ends up the letter that, that needs some clarification. So last week we looked at prayer. 
And this week, we're going to be looking at a sin which John says leads to death and that we really shouldn't feel like we need to spend a lot of time praying about it, which is a kind of shocking thing to hear someone say in the Bible. So we're going to read the whole section, uh, the part we went over last week. We're going to look at the part this week, and then we're going to read the part for next week because it all flows together. But then we'll pull out the part we're looking at and focusing on today. Oh, there's the farmer. Didn't, forgot to put the picture up there. That's not him. That's just some guy offline. But he's a farmer. All right. Anyways, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Remember we talked about where Son of God, how that was a, a title that John wanted to put on the lips of John the Baptist because it was important that we understand it the way that he understood it. The name of the Son of God so that you may have, so you may know you have eternal life. So he wants them to be encouraged. I want you to know that you have this. Then he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we asked of him. Okay, here's the section we're going to be looking at more today. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. Interesting, huh? Then he goes, all wrongdoing is sin. All wrongdoing, ah, I'm all over the place, sorry. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. So he comes back to this point. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We're going to talk about that next week, how, what, what, is, what does it mean to live as a people who are righteous in Christ in a world that has fallen? We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Anyone who tells you the Bible never says Jesus is God. It does. <laughs> Dear children, keep yourself from idols. So this is the part we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be uh, really digging into this. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin which leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. And then he says, all wrongdoing is sin. There is a sin which does not, but there is sin which does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And the one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. You know, when it comes to sin, if you've been in uh, Christianity for a while, you'll often hear someone say, a sin is the sin, in that it separates you from the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's a big sin or a small sin. A sin is a sin because it separates you from the Lord. Our God is a holy and righteous God. Anything that we do which is not righteous, a sin or unholy, creates a barrier between us and God. And that is true. In fact, any sin that is left unrepented, we don't deal with it, we don't repent of it, the Scripture will tell us will eventually grow and inevitably become destructive in our lives. 
However, I think most people would agree that there are some sins which, while they all separate us from the holiness of God, some sins are worse than others in that the damage that those sins do to people around us and do to ourselves. For example, I don't think many people would put the person who cheats on an exam in the same class, which is a sin. It's a sin to cheat. It's a sin to, to, you know, be deceptive. It hurts the rest of the class and their grades and all that. It's not fair. But I don't think we would put that person in the same category as in, of evil as someone who rapes, tortures, and murders a person. And if, we, and if that person were to rape, torture, and murder a child, we would even we feel this visceral thing within us that says there's a big difference between that person and the person that cheated on the exam. Even though both are a sin, a sin is a sin and that it separates you from the Lord, but there's a deeply impactful difference in the category of sin. And if you believe that, if you would uh, agree with that, well, the Apostle John would say, yeah, I agree with you too. Look what he says. He says, when he talks about the sin, he says, when you see a brother or a sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray that God would give him life. And then look, he says, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. He says, there is a sin that does lead to death. There is one. I'm not saying you should pray about that. And then he doesn't want people to start thinking, well, it's okay to do this, but not to do that. So he says, all wrongdoing is sin. He, goes, he comes back to the idea, a sin is a sin. But then he says, but there is sin which does not lead to death. What is he talking about? What is the sin which leads to death? And he says a sin. So we know that he's not talking about sinful behaviors that can lead to physical death, like drug addiction that leads to an overdose where a person physically dies. Or say you, leave a, you lead a violent life and you end up dying a violent death. There's lots of different things that can lead to physical death, even suicide can lead to physical death. But if that were the case, he would say, These, there's a bunch of sins that cause people to die. You shouldn't pray about those. That's not what he says. He talks about a specific sin. So what is that sin? And what does death mean? And what he's talking about when he talks about death, he's talking about spiritual death. He's not talking about things that might cause you to physically die. You know, one of the things that sometimes people have a misconception about when we sin is that we can be forgiven by God, but we will still have to endure the consequences in this life sometimes. You know, a person that has murdered somebody, they can be forgiven by God, but they still have to endure the consequences of that. And sometimes, if you come from a country like mine, sometimes the consequence, for example, of murder with extenuating circumstances like torture or rape can lead to death. But he's not talking about a group of sins. He's talking about one sin. So what is this specific situation that he's talking about here? Well, there is one sin in the scriptures which Jesus says is unforgivable. There's only one sin that Jesus says is unforgivable, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at where he talks about that. This is found in the book of Matthew. And uh, normally we use John, the Gospel of John to interpret the letter of 1 John. But the Gospel of John doesn't have this passage in there. This is out of Matthew. And Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, he says, So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. 
But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. So if you looked at just this passage, is the guy that came to my office, is he correct to say, told the Holy Spirit to blank off, that he's condemned to hell? What is the context that Jesus is talking about? The context is important. So let's look at the context that led to Jesus saying this very pointed statement about an unforgivable sin being the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What led to this? Well, if you look back up in Matthew chapter 12, back up to verse 22, so we jumped in at uh, verse 31. So about 10 verses before, there's the story that led to Jesus saying this. It says, Then they, being the crowd, brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Which was a Jewish kind of way of saying, Could this be the Messiah. But when the Pharisees heard this, the Pharisees were kind of the religious people in Jesus' time. They were the leaders. There's a sect of Judaism called the, the Pharisees, Phariseeism. And they, it was kind of a grassroots religion of the people. And that's why we hear about the Pharisees all the time, because Jesus walked among the people, and so did the Pharisees. The Sadducees, another sect of Judaism, stayed mostly in the temple. So anyways, so the, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So in other words, they're saying it is only by Satan, Beelzebub, which the name actually means Lord of the Flies, for those of you who remember your junior high or high school uh, literature. Uh, it is by this demon, by the prince of the world, by Satan. It's all kinds of, they're all saying the same thing with different words. It is by his power that Jesus drives out demons. It's a strange thing to say, but that's what they're saying. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against himself will be ruined. So he said, this is stupid. There's no way the evil, the, the kingdom of, of Satan, the evil kingdom, would fight against itself because it would be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? So Jesus is just saying, this doesn't make any sense at all. But then he gets deeper into it. He says, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you, your people drive them out? So if I drive them out by the power of Satan, who do you drive out demons by the power of? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up that strong man? Then he can rob the house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks the, against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For the tree will be recognized by its fruit. So it's this idea, you can't do evil by evil. The tree, if, if there's good things happening, it's because the tree is good. You brood of vipers. How can you, who are evil, say anything good? 
For out of the outflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. A good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account for the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So this is the whole context of, the, of Jesus saying the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is unforgivable in this age and in the age to come. And what is he talking about here? Well, remember, what did the Pharisees say? They said that this cleansing of this person's soul that they had witnessed, where this demon had been cast out and this person was made whole again, he could speak, he could hear. Out of this place of cleanliness, they were saying, this evil is being driven out by evil. In other words, they were calling that which the Holy Spirit had done as righteous and good, they were saying this was evil, done by the power of evil. And by extension, saying that that which is evil is good. And it is this stubborn persistence of willing disbelief. They saw it, and they stubbornly persisted to willfully disbelieve what they were seeing as coming from God. And in fact, they took the thing that was coming from God and they interpreted it as evil. They told the people around him, he's driving out demons by the power of demons. It is when they do this, that they call the work of the Holy Spirit the work of Satan, that is the blasphemy. It's not just saying bad names. It's taking the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and saying that this is evil and resisting it willfully as evil. And why is this blasphemy unforgivable? Why is it unforgivable? Well, it's not just that God gets his feelings hurt. It has more to do with the fact that what is the role of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ. Jesus says in that passage in Matthew, he's doing these things by the Holy Spirit. It's by his own Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ. What is the, why is this an unforgivable sin? Well, it has to do with what the role of the Holy Spirit is. And we go to the Gospel of John. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to Christ. And when the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ, it does it, and he kind of takes a certain amount of steps. One, the part of the, the first step is to acknowledge the fact that there is a God and that we're not him. And for some people, that's, that's a big step. That they're not their own God. Then the other one is to realize that we're falling short of a, of a holy God. That we have not lived up to the pure righteous standards of God. In fact, we have sinned. And for some people, again, that's, that's a big step for them to take. That, that they're sinners. But we all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But a person has to come to an understanding that they are part of that. And it's the Holy Spirit that draws them to that place. Then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we understand that we need to repent of those sins. And to repent means more than just saying, I'm sorry, Lord. To repent means to turn away from it. It means we live our lives in a different way. We walk in a different direction. It means to turn 180 degrees from this thing, which is an action separating us from God, and we go a different direction. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit opening up our spiritual eyes that allows us to even take that step. Then we come to the place of salvation. So a person that is willfully refusing the ministering presence of the Holy Spirit 
will never come to the place of repentance because they say, this is just, I'm not going to listen to this. This idea that I need to somehow deal with my sin because I'm not perfect, that's not because of sin. That's just the church trying to make me feel bad all the time. And the idea that I need to repent and walk away from it, I don't need to do that. I'm fine the way I am. And I'm proud of the way I am. Even if the way I am is hurtful to people around me and causes my own life to be miserable, I am the way God made me, and I'm proud of it, and I'm not going to change. And so if, you, if that's the attitude one takes, and they're never going to look for the solution to salvation in Jesus Christ because they don't think they need it. It's like a person who's decided that water will not put out fire. In fact, if you try and throw water on a fire, it's going to just make it worse. And so while their house is burning down and the fire department comes to spray it with water, they say, no, I refuse to allow water to be sprayed upon my house. It's just going to make it worse. And the fire department's like, that's all we got because it's the only thing that's really going to work. No, not going to hear it. So then the fire department calls up the rest of the people and the volunteer crew and says, you might as well just stay at home because this person's going to let their house burn down. And that's kind of what John is saying when he says, I'm not saying you need to pray about this. This is a person that has refused to believe, willfully refused to believe that the Holy Spirit is real, that the Holy Spirit can speak into their life, and that the Holy Spirit will lead them to have their lives transformed. They have willfully chosen to ignore that. And so this is different than, say, the sin when John says there's some sin which doesn't lead to death. So, for example, cheating on the exam. You know, that's a sin, but it doesn't mean that I don't believe in God. You know, I can cheat on an exam and go, I shouldn't have done that. And I can believe that there's a God. I can believe that I need to repent, and I'll go and I'll repent. And as hard as it is to hear, even if that person who was the murderer If this person does believe that there is a God and they come to the realization that because of their actions, they're going to spend an eternity in hell, in that place of fear, that murderer might actually try and find mercy. And his motivations might be selfish. His motivations might be cowardly at first. I think a lot of us would say, you made other people suffer. You should be willing to suffer. But what if in his search for mercy, he finds someone that is more merciful and graceful than either you are or I am? He finds Christ. And what if he repents with heartbreak at the man that he's become? And he repents with genuine heartbreak at the hurt that he has caused. And he seeks forgiveness found in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And prays for forgiveness and for whatever is left of his life, he seeks to follow Christ. Is that person forgiven? As hard as it is to to stomach, yeah. Because his sin did not lead him to not believing in God altogether. His sin did not lead him into believing that the Holy Spirit has no role whatsoever. And so the Holy Spirit can work on that heart. And this is why Jesus says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. How many of us, in a different place and a different time in our lives, use the name of Jesus Christ more as a curse word than as a word of honor? 
I did. There was a time in my life when I would use the name of Jesus Christ more as a curse than as saying something as a word of honor. And Christ has forgiven me of that. I wouldn't be here today if Christ didn't forgive of the blasphemy that I've laid upon his name. But if I had willfully and stubbornly refused to allow my heart, my life to be touched by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, then I would still be in darkness to this day. I would still be destined for hell. And that's why he's talking about this being an unforgivable sin. Now, can a person repent of this? You know, I don't know. Jesus, you know, Jesus speaks in hyperbole all the time, which is kind of this exaggerated language. But I think there comes a time when a person's heart is just so, so turned away from God that it's very hard for them to repent. You know, for example, C.S. Lewis, he was, he's a very well-known Christian author, wrote a lot of stuff. The Narnia series is probably what he's best known for. But he wrote a lot of very deep books about the faith. And he wasn't a perfect theologian by any means. There aren't very many of those out there, if there's any at all. But he had been, in his uh, beginning of his academic career, a very prideful atheist. And he actually wrote a book while he was in his young career against Christianity from an atheistic point of view. And then he, and many of you know his story, he decided he was going to do a deep dive into Christianity and to prove intellectually and academically that to believe in Christ was foolishness. And as this Oxford professor dove into what it means to be a Christian and what Jesus is really about becomes a Christian. The Holy Spirit used his digging into it to draw him to a place of repentance. And C.S. Lewis becomes one of the most famous to this day uh, authors when it comes to an apologetics written for the sake of the faith. But if you read C.S. Lewis's biography, there was always a kernel of something within him that believed that there could be something greater. Even when he was set out as an atheist, he believed that there was a possibility. So I don't know these folks that Jesus are talking about, if there's any coming back from it. And then when John says this strange thing, he says, there's a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. that I think for many of us, that sounds strange, doesn't it? I mean, does God ever tell people not to pray for someone who's, who's on a path of destruction? Can you think of a time when God says, don't pray for them? He does. There's a time in the Old Testament where the people of Israel were on their final slide away from following God. And there was a prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is kind of the last prophet standing before uh, the kingdom of Judah completely is, is falls and people are taken into exile. In fact, there's a group that's taken before Jeremiah and there's a group that's taken after Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah stays in Jerusalem. He gets thrown into a pit. The last we hear about him, he gets taken off into Egypt somewhere. We really don't know how Jeremiah ends up his life. But he's called the weeping prophet because he just could see that the people of Israel were just falling away from God. And it isn't like they had a a good month, then a bad month, and God brought the hammer down. It's about after 400 years of Israel walking away from God, from worshiping other gods, from bringing other gods into the temple. And so he gets told this by God in three different places in the book of Jeremiah. And it's almost the exact same thing, but if you can see the chapters, it's spread apart because 
He gets told this under three different circumstances. Do not pray for this people or offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead for them, for I will not listen to you. And then God later on, do not pray for these people or offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call to me in their time of distress. And then finally, the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of these people. So what was going on? Well, if you read these, if you look these up and you're, you're, during the week sometime, you read the verses around them, you see a consistent theme coming back. The people of Israel were constantly chasing after the worship of other gods. It was just a thing they could not seem to get out of their system. They worshiped other gods. And they kept doing it time and time and time again. And they were warned by a series of prophets, you need to stop this, you need to stop this. And the prophets were not always kind and gentle with them. They would use curse words. It's actually, there's some stuff in the Bible that it gets translated into our tongue. It takes out some of the edge, but in the Hebrew, for example, the prophet uh, Ezekiel, he gets into it. And he calls them, you have your idols made of poop. And, uh, he, and he uses a, a stronger word than that. But he gets into it with them because they are worshiping nonsense. But they kept going back. And they kept going back. And they kept going back to the worship of false gods. So finally, when Israel is being... Israel has already been conquered. This is when Judah's in place. As they're going down, Jeremiah's praying for them as the prophet, and God says, nope. They have rushed headlong with their, ignorance, their arrogance. Not their ignorance. They, were, they weren't ignorant about this. They were arrogant about it. And they have run headlong in, with their arrogance into the consequences of this sin, and so it's going to happen. They are going to, this kingdom is going to fall, they're going to be taken into exile for generations. And so Jeremiah, it's a done deal. I think in a similar way, this is what John says when he says, he's not saying that we have to pray about this. He's not saying, he does, it's not a commandment you shouldn't. He, says, he doesn't say you shouldn't. He just says, I'm not saying that he should pray about it. Basically what John is saying at this point, they're pretty far gone. When a person will not listen to the possibility of the Holy Spirit bringing transformative change into their life, when they've rejected the role of the Holy Spirit to enlighten, to convict of sin, to guide in repentance, to bring a person into salvation with Jesus Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, when a person has rejected this, there's not anything else that they can do. There's nothing else to offer. It's like trying to put out the, put out the fire of the, someone's house with something other than water. It's just, it's just not going to work. And so then it's with this place in mind, Jesus says, when he talks about, you know, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he takes those who want him. Some people think that the Holy Spirit is just going to come in and kick down doors and, and overtake a person's mind, and God doesn't do that. Sometimes we wish he would, and this is where sometimes you have some kind of a rub between different theologies about you know, predestination and free will, because you don't see that God will come in and just kick down the doors and 
squeeze a person's brain into the, into the formation of belief that he wants. He wants us to come to him. And so Jesus says, whoa, he doesn't say that. <laughs> there should be some more slides on my uh, outline here. <laughs> so he says, he who's not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. If you're not with me, then you're against me. If you're not gathering, if you're not doing what I do, then you're going to end up doing the opposite, which is scatter. And then he goes in, and so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is a sin, but there is sin, plural, that does not lead to death. I know for most of you here today, this is only relevant in that you look at other people's lives and, and uh, people on, you know, on the news or whatever. Maybe they're friends of yours, maybe they're family, maybe they're just people that are celebrities or whatever you see out there and you go, man, there's an arrogance that's there. Maybe, but there might be someone here who has kind of willfully held off the Holy Spirit trying to draw them to Christ. They've willfully said, I do not want to believe that there's such a thing as sin. I do not want to believe that I have to somehow reorient my life towards God. I do not want to believe that I'm not perfect already. I do not want to believe that I need God to transform my life. If you're in that place, then you're in dangerous waters. And if you're here today, then I doubt that you have been given up on by God because you wouldn't be here today and hearing this word if this is the place you're in unless the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to hear something. So be in prayer. Be in prayer for those brothers and sisters whose who sin does not necessarily lead to death but can bring about destruction, can, can bring about uh, division within a church, can bring about the end of a family. Sure, be in prayer for that. Personally, there's a few people I love so much that even though they seem to be in this very hard place, I still pray for them. Like, we're not, we're not commanded not to pray for them. But be thankful that if you're a believer, that you're in the place where the Holy Spirit drew you and brought you home so that you can have the assurance of knowing that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and thank you for uh, yeah, the nuances of your word. That there are things in your, in your word that I think sometimes we don't really even pay that much attention to. We just kind of read over it or don't really understand it. But we do thank you that the Holy Spirit, your spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit of God has touched most of the people here in our lives and maybe everybody, I don't know. But if there is someone here, Lord, that your spirit has a hard time getting through to, God, we pray that this day would be a day where hope 
is born in a person who realizes their need for forgiveness because no one is perfect. Their need for forgiveness. And they turn to you. They walk away from those things which have set them apart from you. And they trust you in the sacrifice you made on the cross for their sake. So that it's not by works that they are saved, but it is by faith. And Lord, as we uh, go from this place, as we go and we are among people in the world today, many of whom are just kind of ignorant. They don't necessarily think there is no God. They just have questions about what they've been taught by the church that's true. Lord, we pray your spirit will draw them into the place of knowing you. And Lord, for those who are just super hard-hearted and even used by the enemy to drive people away, and we see kind of the craziness in the world today as it's getting more and more further and further down the road of clearly in a strange place or in a place of hate. You know, you just said right here, well, some of that is so hard, hard-hearted that we don't really need to bother to pray about that. But, Father, we still do. I do, anyways. But mostly, Lord, I pray for those who are in this fight, who are believers, who are in a world which goes against your word. Help us to be light, just like we sang with the kids' song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. May we be light, people of hope, as we are ambassadors of Christ, sharing who you are to the world around us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.